Well, good morning. My name is Pat Coyle. I serve uh, as HR pastor for the whole staff and I uh, serve here at the Anderson campus. Um, I get to preach about once a year. And uh, last summer, I was up here uh, doing uh, Psalm 86 and uh, mentioned in that, uh, in that message uh, that it, that message really came out of a season uh, in my life where the Lord really had just taken me through some, uh, some breaking, some, some, some doubt, some struggle and some depression. And uh, uh, one of the passages that most spoke to me, I was looking back again at a journal this morning, uh, that most spoke to me during that season was uh, from the prophet Jeremiah. And so when the opportunity came up to do, uh, to be a part of this series this summer on Old Testament leaders, um, I was very, very excited to think about kind of sharing that message, that, that passage uh, with y'all from the life of Jeremiah. So uh, that's where we're going to go this morning. Uh, encouragement from the weeping prophet. Now, we are bouncing all over the Old Testament this summer. Uh, as you see, the Old Testament leaders theme to the series. And so one of the, one of the aspects of that is that um, we have uh, 13 or so pastors and uh, three campuses And everybody needs to take vacation between May 15th and August 15th. And everybody, we wanted to have the opportunity to speak on a passage that that was encouragement in life out of them to y'all. And so uh, putting all of these Old Testament leaders in chronological order? No way. (laughs) No way was that going to happen. So we are bouncing all over the place in the Old Testament. And it came to our minds this week as we were talking about it, it would probably be good to do a little review of kind of the flow of the Old Testament. Because how many of you are Old Testament scholars in here this morning? Anybody? A few? Okay, good. (laughs) There's some some of you, but for most of us, not so much, right? And uh, listen, y'all, the Old Testament is not that forgotten old book. There is so much uh, richness in, in, in the Old Testament, so much of just God's work uh, t- for us, uh, for, the, for his people, and we learn so much about him uh, through the timeline of the Old Testament. And today I said we're the prophet Jeremiah, and so uh, we kind of need to know where the prophets are in that timeline of the Old Testament. So I tried to come up with as brief uh, a summary as I possibly could, and I consulted several teachers in our church, and so I tried to get it to seven, and then it became eight, and then it became two, on, so it's really four or 16 major points. but uh, So it's not really memorizable, but it does give you a kind of a good sweep of the Old Testament. So we have uh, the beginning, uh, in the beginning, the creation of the world, the creation of mankind, and very quickly the fall of mankind. Sin uh, enters into the picture. It's rebellion. And, and fundamentally, that rebellion against trust in God, that rebellion against dependence upon God, that rebellion against obedience uh, obedient trust in God uh, was there from the very beginning as the plague of God's people throughout the Old Testament narrative. And so God begins to deal with his people uh, and the sin problem in, in various ways. And we begin with the patriarchs and the arrival uh, on the scene of, of just some of the greats of the Old Testament. You're going to have some, some study with the patriarchs uh, this summer. And the, the kind of the pinnacle of that season of the patriarchs is that, that covenant with Abraham. You have the covenants with Noah and Abraham during this time, that, that covenant with Abraham where God says, I'm going to work through this people, this, your offspring, your, the nation that comes out of you, Abraham. I'm going, to, I'm going to work through this people. I'm going to work my redemptive plan through this people. And so there's a great promise in that covenant uh, with Abraham that will bless all nations. And we are a part of that blessing 
today. Uh, but uh, rebellion and sin enters back into the picture, and soon the, the people find themselves in captivity in Egypt, and then comes the Exodus. You've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments? Ready? Come on. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh, that, that's kind of a campy old movie, but it tells the story really well. Uh, Moses comes along and delivers his people out of the, of the bondage in Egypt. And uh, through Moses, the covenant with Moses, comes the giving of the law, uh, God's description of sin and the problem with sin and how he would like for us to, to, to live without sin uh, through the law. And they enter the land. They take possession of the land And then there's a season of rulership over the land. The people are in the land, most of the land. And uh, the season of the judges and the season of the kings. And kind of the pinnacle of the season of the kings is King David. And uh, the covenant with David is that which reveals God's intent to bring Messiah, bring his blessing through the line of David. So another great, uh, great one of the covenants there. And then, unfortunately, the people's hearts turn back to Sin, rebellion, rebellion against God, lack of trust in God, trust in themselves, trust in their idols. The sin of idolatry uh, sets back in and there's uh, apostasy and evil. And so God judges, he brings his consequences upon the people, upon the kingdom by dividing the kingdom. Uh, and, then, uh, and then the exile of the two kingdoms into other countries. During that period of time, the prophets have their ministry bringing God's word uh, to his people and uh, there is the hope, this picture of the hope, which will come through the prophet Jeremiah, uh, that new covenant, the foreshadowing of what God is going to do through his Messiah, Jesus Christ. There's a, after the um, uh, return to the land, there's a season of silence and then the coming of Christ. Everybody got it memorized? Okay. Uh, if I change the slide, can you, can you name them all? Now, hopefully, though, that gives you a sense of the flow of the entirety of the Old Testament. Some of you prefer a timeline. And so <clears throat> there it is. Uh, the, uh, the patriarchs, the creation, all is out, out here. You see this one in particular begins with the Exodus because we couldn't get it all on one screen. And uh, where we are uh, today with our character that we're going to look at, Jeremiah, is uh, after the Davidic kingdom. Uh, as I mentioned, there's the, 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 the division of the kingdoms into Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom. Israel is already in exile. Judah is under Assyrian tribute. They're under the uh, control of Assyria, but not yet uh, captive. And um, uh, there's a brief period of reform under good King Josiah. And then um, the people's hearts and the future kings uh, reveal that they were never really turned back to God during that uh, reform uh, but they turn back to apostasy. They turn back to idolatry uh, and rebellion. And um, idolatry runs rampant. And during this season, so we're about, um, we're, here's Judah is conquered. So right, right before the time that Judah is conquered is the, is the time of our prophet today, um, Jeremiah. So what do we need to know about the prophet Jeremiah? A little bit of background on him because he's, he's our main character. Um, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, as you saw kind of in the introductory slide there. And uh, he's, he's called that, well, first of all, his calling came in 527 BC. It was during that reign of good King Josiah. He's called the weeping prophet uh, for many reasons. Uh, it was a tough life for Jeremiah. He was commanded not to marry. 
Uh, he was given a stern message of judgment for the people. It was kind of a, pretty much an often a downer, the message that he had, uh, that he had to deliver. Strongly opposed for, because, because of the nature of the message. Forbidden to go to the temple, which I'm sure was very hard on his heart. Uh, he was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was also known as the reluctant prophet. There's a, when you see, look at his call in chapter 1, verse 6. He expresses, no, no, Lord, not me. You know, I'm too young. I'm, I can't do this. And God reaffirms his calling. And Jeremiah ultimately accepts his calling. And two more times he wants to quit. Again, because of the difficulty of the season of his, um, of his ministry. Uh, but his career lasted more than 40 years. As I said, it began uh, under the reformer, Josiah, and continued through the horrible apostate reigns of all of the kings which followed uh, basically the kings of Judah. Uh, prior to Nebuchadnezzar taking Jerusalem and the Babylonian exile, you know Nebuchadnezzar from the, the Daniel stories. Uh, and again, most of those 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry were characterized by hardship. Uh, he was given an option at the cap- time of the, of the captivity to go to Babylon or stay in Jerusalem, where his heart really was. But even then, he was not able to stay in Jerusalem because of danger. He was taken away uh, to Egypt uh, in 586. And he prophesied a few more years there, uh, and, then, and then he died. That came at the end of his life. So why is it so significant that we understand these circumstances, the circumstances and background of Jeremiah's life? And I, all I could think of, the words I could think of, is that Jeremiah's words don't come out of a sunshine and bunnies and roses kind of a life, right? You've heard the story. You've heard a brief summary of the story. So Jeremiah's words speak into all kinds of circumstances. His words aren't just coming out of easy living, coming out of difficulty. And so they speak into all kinds of circumstances in our lives, even difficult circumstances. The circumstances that can be difficulties that are just a result of evil and brokenness in the world. The, the news we saw again on our TV screens on Friday with the shooting at the school in Houston. Unexplainable evil in the world. The, the difficulties that can come from our own Sinful choices. The bad things that we do. Difficulties come about as a result of those things. Difficulties caused by others' actions towards us. Their choices. Things we didn't even choose. But difficulties uh, that come upon us because of the choices of others. Or the difficulties that just can't be explained. Accidents. Illnesses. Difficult things that we, we simply, simply can't explain. So, Jeremiah, throughout the entirety of his book, has a lot to say about... God's judgment on the sin of idolatry among his people, and that, that speaks to us today. Brian spoke a few weeks ago in the series From Every Knee about the idols in our lives. And uh, when we have idols in our lives, when we have things that we're trusting in that are not God, they cause us pain, they cause us problems. But today, there's some just admittedly positive and encouraging passages that come out of the ministry of Jeremiah. And I want to kind of unashamedly admit that that's where we're going to focus today because they, they also speak, those positive words also speak to us about, uh, about the difficult seasons and about avoiding the choices that take us into the difficult seasons. So our key today is to see the goodness of the Lord, even in the midst of circumstances that are upon us or circumstances that we may have created, so that we can understand the key to the kind of life that God desires for us. Not 
a life that's constantly uh, blessed with abundance in our circumstances. God's word is clear. Difficulties come. But he desires for us a life that is abundantly steadfast and fruitful, solid, even in our most difficult circumstances. And God can bring about that kind of steadiness and stability in our lives because we can fully trust in him at all times and in all circumstances. So this, uh, this kind of deep, embedded, lasting, unwavering trust is Jeremiah's secret behind his ability to per- persevere and even to thrive uh, in what we described as the context of a life that was a weeping kind of a life. There's some well-known passages from Jeremiah's writings that accentuate that secret, that complete dependence. And we're going to look at a couple of those really briefly uh, before we go into the passage that we want to spend the most of our time on. Lamentations 3 is, uh, is a very, uh, very common passage, very, very common to the knowledge of most, uh, most Christians. Uh, if I get you started, you'll know, uh, you'll know what it is. I'm going to go ahead and turn there, but um, uh, it's around verse 20. Two, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. That's where our song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, comes from. Jeremiah began that passage in the context of his kind of weeping prophet mode. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. As an Old Testament prophet to Judah in the context that we were just talking about, Jeremiah knew that God's absolute love to his chosen people, that covenant love, that love that was based upon God's word, who God is, his promise, the steadfastness of his word and his person, that promise would remain his, his chesed, his steadfast love, would, would be faithful to his people, even in spite of the season of disobedience that they found themselves in. And, and though the disobedience and, and, and would not be repented of by the people would result in, in painful consequences and judgment, yet the steadfastness of God's love would even undergird the punishment, the season of difficulty that they would encounter because of their disobedience and would be waiting for them uh, at the time of their repentance. He understood that God was trustworthy. Jeremiah 31 is another one of those passages that uh, bears pointing out. This is, I mentioned in the timeline a minute ago, the, the communication of the new covenant, when God revealed his new covenant. Jeremiah 31 31 through 34, this is just some phrases. I'm just going to read some phrases that I pulled out uh, from the passage. The days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Sounds like the gospel. Sounds like the good news of Jesus that we sang a few minutes ago. And it was. Jesus said uh, at, the, at the Last Supper, when he instituted the Last Supper, he said, this is the new covenant. He was referring to these words, these words of promise spoken through the prophet Jeremiah, this new covenant that God himself will show mercy. He'll show his power over sin by cleansing and remaking and filling his people's hearts through his Messiah and through the Holy Spirit. 
And let me just step away from the text for a second and say, if that's new to you this morning, that's why it's called good news. God's word reveals that he sent his son Jesus to this earth uh, to live a perfect life and then die that terrible death in order to take our sins upon himself. So that by faith in what he did on the cross, uh, we could place our trust in what he did on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins uh, through his, his, his death and then his resurrection, his defeat of sin and death, uh, so that, that that forgiveness, that reality of that life could be ours, and that through his spirit he would come to live inside of us. It's incredibly good news. It was foreshadowed by Jeremiah. He understood uh, what was coming. Um, we, we live in that hope today. That's good news. Man, let that be your message today. If you never realized that truth before today, put your trust in Jesus. Let him bring forgiveness of sin into your life. Let him begin to live his life through you. Be a fulfillment of that new covenant that Jeremiah um, revealed to us. But the, that hope in firmly invested in this God, this covenant, this saving God, this good God, uh, that, that was the hope of Jeremiah and it's the bedrock of the passage that we want to look at today and that's Jeremiah 17. So turn, if you would, there to Jeremiah 17. Let's read verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. For he will be like a bush in the desert and will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. So Jeremiah sets up a contrast for us of two, two kinds of life, two kinds of lives. In the first part, verses 5 and 6, we see the curse of misplaced trust. And I say that's, it's misplaced because when we're putting our trust, Jeremiah's point is when we're putting our trust in man or mankind or flesh or our own selves, it's misplaced. We are not trustworthy. There's only one who is trustworthy. So he proclaims, he describes the curse. Uh, he says it is trust in humanity. There's two uh, nouns there that refer to mankind or humanity. Uh, the first one, I think in my translation, was man, and the second was flesh. One actually re- uh, refers more to a, like a, a warrior, a, a dependable, the, the person that you want with you on the front line of battle, the fleshly strength, human strength in all of its, the mighty man, all, human strength in all of its great capacity. The second one is just general mankind, general flesh, ourselves, our own efforts. Is either one reliable? No, <laughs> neither one. Uh, neither, is some, neither one of those are something that we should be putting our trust in. This person relies on fleshly strength. Their heart is deceived. It says the heart turns away from the Lord. It's the opposite of trust in God. And in verse 6, he describes what, kind of, what that looks like in a life. And what does he describe? A shrub in the desert. And I went to our friend Google and I, uh, I found out that this was probably referring to a desert juniper. So I googled desert juniper photos, and there it is. Pretty sad, lonely, unhealthy, dry-looking <laughs> uh, thing. It, 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 it bears out the description that Jeremiah gives us um, 
in verse 6. And basically, he says uh, it will not see. Oh, so first, first of all, he's in the desert. So there's what? There's no water. There's no source. So this life is without source. Uh, it says he will not see when prosperity comes. It's a, it's a life without hope. It says it will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. It's without joy and without companionship. Utterly alone. That's the result of the life. That's the way our life is going to play out if we place, constantly place our trust in humanity, in our own efforts, or in the, in the help of others. By contrast, verses 7 and 8, the blessing of true trust. And I say true trust because there's only one who's trustworthy. So trust in the Lord is true trust. It's the only true trust. He proclaims the blessing in verse 7. He says, uh, blessed are those who trust uh, in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And I, I, I thought about that. I thought, you know, maybe it's just a, a, a doubling of the phrase, you know, saying the same phrase twice for, for emphasis. The Hebrew uh, poetry often did that. Uh, but there's definitely a difference in the wording. And if you go back to uh, a version of the Hebrew that has the English right alongside, it's like this, who trusts in Yahweh and Yahweh is his trust. So trust in and God is, is his trust. That, that, that uh, idea is this person relies upon God. It's not simply expressing, I trust in God. Or, you, know, you can kind of say that, I trust in God. But when it comes to it, uh, we wrestle with that, especially when times are difficult. But Jeremiah is to the point in his walk where he says, my trust is God. God personifies my trust. My trust is personified by God. That's a, a depth, a, a deeper Level, a two-layer trust, if you would. Uh, a depth of trust that, that, that I think we truly, truly want to understand. The, the implication is that his heart was completely God's and no one else's. Nothing else's. Completely God's. And the blessing is described by contrast to the desert shrub. I found an image there that kind of, kind of paints the picture. Uh, here is this tree. Symbol of permanence and strength and fruitfulness throughout Scripture. Firmly planted... Uh, my English just said planted, but the, the word there is actually a, a, an unusual word. It's a, it's, a, it's a deep and a firm and a rooted planting. So the, this tree is locked into the vibrant, constant source of that water that's right there. Constant, vibrant source to draw on uh, never fails. And what are the characteristics of this beautiful tree? No fear. No fear. Okay, how many of you can say my life is characterized by no fear, no anxiety? Anybody? I don't see any hands. Because <laughs> it's a very human experience to struggle with fear. This person experiences no fear. If fear is persistent in our lives, our trust is either inconsistent or it's misplaced. Our trust is, if the Lord is our trust, uh, there's a steadfastness and an ability to to see through fear and, and, and get past anxiety. This tree is healthy, alive, lush, unanxious, secure, even joyful above circumstances. When the drought comes, when the heat comes, the heat will come. The drought will come. The difficulty will come. God's word does not promise us sunshine, bunnies, and roses. Difficulty will come, and when the difficulty comes, this person whose trust is the Lord is unceasingly fruitful. Reproducing itself, uh, a fruitful tree is a blessing to itself, and it's a blessing to all around it. 
That's the, that's the, 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 the kind of life, the kind of vibrancy that is described out of a life that is trusting fully in the Lord. Do you, do you sense the peace? Do you sense the steadfastness, pleasantness of that? Don't you want to be that tree? <laughs> do you experience it? Is that your experience right now? If you're wrestling with that question, think about where your trust is invested right now. Where are you investing your trust? What are you looking to? Your own plans, your own schemes, your reputation, the people around you, your money, your portfolio? Where is your trust? Okay, Jeremiah takes us a little bit deeper. He, he, he repeats the two concepts in different ways. This time, verses 9 through, uh, we're going to go through 14. And let's read again. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. As a partridge that hatches eggs, which it has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune, but unjustly. In the midst of his days, it will forsake him, and in the end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are my praise. We're going to look at, again, the same two concepts. This time, the ugly of trust in mankind, and then we're going to see the beauty of trust in the Lord. So it begins in verse 9, that human heart, it, it cannot at all be trusted, and yet we flock to dependence upon human things, our own strength or the strength of others. But Jeremiah reveals that heart is deceitful, it is desperately sick. The better term, the better translation of that is terminal, incurable, gravely ill. And it's not understandable. It can't be discerned. The human heart cannot be understood. It's undependable. And in verse 10, it's only the Lord is able to really search and test and understand the human heart and then deal with mankind according to their ways and deeds. By contrast, we are not. We don't have that understanding. And he goes in verse 11 to this example uh, from nature. And I'm going to say, it says the partridge. I'm going to say the egg stealer because actually partridges don't do this. <laughs> they don't do what's described here. But there are other birds that could be uh, derived from the Hebrew word. And uh, there's a sand, uh, sand grouse, I think, is the, is the one uh, in that context that steals the eggs. But, but the idea is that this, this sand grouse uh, steals the eggs, not, not to eat them. But, but to deceitfully hatch that which it did not lay. To take the benefit and the blessing from that which it did not undergo the pain to produce. And he says, so is the unjust person who gains fortune by his unjust ways. Depending upon unjust human ways. Uh, and, and that person relies on scheming and inadequate resources. That person trusts in mankind, trusts in the flesh. And in life... It catches up. And in death, in eternity, that person will be a fool. The worst kind of fool because to reach death with nothing at all, to value, a value to your life is, is the, worst kind, the worst kind of foolishness. 
So there it is again, the ugly of trust in mankind. But again, by contrast, Jeremiah shows us the beauty of trust in the Lord, true trust in the Lord. Now, verses 12 and 13. In this next couple of sections, I'm going to go, we're going to end a little bit differently this morning. Uh, and so I want to start kind of giving you some applications as we sort of finish out the outline. That's not really reflected on the slides, but I, I want you to think about some things. But, but uh, verses 12 and 13 reveal that the Lord is entirely trustworthy. Reveal some of the attributes of God. Okay, you have the throne on high, which is his sovereignty overall. You have the throne from the beginning, which is his eternity, his everlasting nature. You have security in that, uh, Jeremiah says, my sanctuary is in that throne of God. The sanctuary of Jeremiah, the sanctuary of Israel, our sanctuary, our place of refuge is in that sovereignty of God, in that majesty of God. His, his throne, his rulership is a source of security to us. He's the hope of his people. He judges rightly. Those who forsake him, it says, who don't trust in him, find themselves in shame. And it says their names, in a different translation than I read, it says their names are written in dust. If you write something in dust and the wind blows, what happens? It's gone. Their names are written in dust. There's, there's no lasting legacy. It's blown away. He judges rightly. And it says he's the fountain of living water. He's that water source by which the tree is planted, that source uh, for the tree to, to draw its vibrancy. He's the fountain of living water. He's the Lord. In all these things, he's the Lord. Now, I said in each of these points, he is entirely trustworthy. I wanted to give you an application to think about as we get ready to go. I want you to, to, to pray about meditating on those things that put your eyes on God's godness. On the, these kind of things that we were just talking about. The things that reveal the completeness and the bigness and the, and the majesty and the fullness of our God. When we place our eyes on those things, it's an antidote to idolatry. When we see the perspective of how great God is and we look at the earthly things that we're trusting in, our earthly idols, the kind of things that Brian was referring to a few weeks ago, we see the absolute inadequacy of those earthly idols, those undependable things. So when we practice, we develop the practice of meditating on who God is. It, it writes our perspective. It points us toward trust in him. It's a, it's a habit. It's a discipline that you can develop very simply by just when you're spending time with the Lord. And if you don't spend time with the Lord in his word, I, I encourage you to do that. And as you do that, to, to, when you come upon those passages that elevate God's godness, I don't know another way to say it, uh, it'll be an antidote to the idolatry in your life. So he's entirely trustworthy, Jeremiah reveals to us. And then also, he reveals that trust in him is rewarded with his good answers. I note the wording there. This is verse, uh, verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. To say, heal me, O Lord, is an expression of trust, right? Who's he turning to? He's turning to the Lord in that statement. It's an expression of trust. He's turning to the Lord for his healing, whatever that meant in that context. He's turning to the Lord for his salvation. Now, there's a couple of ways that you could deal uh, with these phrases, and certainly talking about healing is a, is a tricky thing. Uh, we don't manipulate God. We don't pull strings and make him do things. Um, Jeremiah could be simply saying, heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. If, you, if God has healed me, I'm healed. 
Uh, He could also be saying, God, I turn to you for healing and I will be healed. It's an expression of faith. Certainly as uh, believers in that gospel that I was telling you, that I was describing a few minutes ago, we believe that if we turn to him for salvation by faith, God's word affirms we will be saved. We have, but with the healing thing, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more, how do we, how do we exact, because we've seen people, we've prayed for their healing and we've seen them not healed. But for God's people, in the context of illness, and I can speak this from my own life story and my mother's 13-year struggle with ovarian cancer, for God's people in the midst of dealing with illness that might even lead to some suffering, it might even lead to our passing, when the heart is surrendered to God and trust, there's beautiful things that take place in the individual's lives and the lives of those around them because the people around see the faith in God and see the work of God in a life that is struggling more beautifully than in any, in any other painting, in any other picture from a person's life. So there is, a, there is a healing in the abundant life that can be given to us even in the midst of struggle. And ultimately for God's people, there is a healing that takes place when we are with him for eternity in our per- perfected state. That complete healing, that complete salvation, the completeness of both of those things. So God is trustworthy for us to seek, uh, uh, to seek him for answers. And his answers are good. If we trust him, if we understand who he truly is, how he truly works, his answers are good. It's, uh, uh, the application I thought of in this is that sometimes when, when you're wrestling with those kinds of things, it's, it's hard to know how to trust <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, God, I see what your word says, but I, I'm struggling with believing that. This is a difficult thing. And, and I'd say for an application, ask for faith. <laughs> ask him for trust. We sang a while ago, uh, uh, oh, for grace to trust him more. The ability to trust God fully is a, is a work of grace. It's a provision of him. He's also the object of it. I think of the story, and my wife and I have talked about this many times in recent years, the story from Mark 9. Uh, we won't turn there, but this is a boy. Uh, a father brings a boy who's possessed by a demon. It's a very difficult demon to cast out. Uh, and I'm really, really shortening the story, but Jesus says to the father, believe. And you remember what the father says? Anybody call it out? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> He's basically praying to Jesus for Help in believing. It's a great prayer to pray. When you're, when you're wrestling with this issue of trust, trusting God in all circumstances, it's a fantastic prayer to pray. Lord, help me in my unbelief. Let that be your application to this idea that trust in him is rewarded with good answers. And then finally, at the end of verse 14, trust in him compels us to praise. He says, you are my praise. That... that relationship Jeremiah must have had with the Lord. You are my trust. You are my praise. It's just the way he saw uh, that, that life with God. He's the source. He's the object. He's the beginning and the end of our praise. He gives, he gives us praise. He's the object of our praise. Application to that one, practice praise and thanksgiving. When we rehearse thankfulness, when we rehearse praises to the godness of God, when that's our mindset in our times with the Lord, again, we're, we're cultivating a, a discipline, we're cultivating a, a setting of our hearts that is a trust-oriented, it's a faith-oriented uh, mindset, heart set. So practice praise. Make praise and thanksgiving a part of your time 
with the Lord. The more that praise and thanksgiving is on your lips, the more it impacts your, your, your ability to understand God's ways um, and, to, and to live out and focus on and stay embedded in that trust in him. I mentioned we're going to end a little bit differently um, today. And uh, so uh, um, um, two members of our staff are uh, Sarah and Sean Davidson. Sarah serves as director of worship. She coordinates uh, so much of what goes on on all the stages in, uh, in terms of worship. She gives direction to our worship teams. And uh, Sean uh, serves as director of uh, communications and production. So the folks back there that you were thinking or thanking are on Sean's, uh, Sean's team. Uh, they received some difficult news. And um, I want to go into this for two reasons because it enables us to kind of give a little application and practice to what we've been talking about, but also to remind you to pray for this couple uh, who serve so well on our behalf. And the, so Sarah wrote an email to the staff this week, and she included something that, that I want to share with y'all. Um, Sean and I can't say enough how thankful we are for each of you, and this extends to the church family as well. You have loved us, checked on us, taken work or responsibilities for us, prayed over us more and more. And it has made this season of waiting and pain far less lonely, overwhelming, or discouraging. Thank you for being with us. Please continue being next to us. Our medical updates are these. Uh, This is Sarah writing. We will head to Dallas on Wednesday. That's this week. Wednesday night for pre-surgery testing on the 24th. I'll meet with medical staff for pre-op on the 25th. Surgery has been scheduled for the 30th. We'll head to Dallas on the 29th. Surgery will be a many-hour affair. It seems the mass has completely destroyed my left ovary. She has a mass, uh, ovarian mass. And there are signs of other ramifications. Uh, my surgeon will also be removing a cyst on my right ovary. Free fluid in my abdomen and a lesion forming on the ever-growing mass are causes for concern. It's very serious. Uh, but we will continue to wait until post-surgery for word on the type of cell that we're dealing with. Last year, the Lord asked me if I was if I trusted the lines he's drawn for my life. That question is being asked of me again on a higher level. Do I trust that the parameters, the realities of my situations, are inside of his perfect control? It brought Psalm 16 to my team. Sorry, I brought Psalm 16 to my team, and we wrote this song about trusting the Lord. Please take a moment to listen to this song, Unpolished, and be encouraged. I trust the lines he's drawn for me. I choose to. I pray that no matter what each of us as a family is living with, we are choosing trust. I want you all to listen to this and just have a little time of worship, a little time of reflection on where your trust is resting right now. i 
Sarah's desire to sing that for you this morning. She wasn't able to because of her health. She was briefly in the early service. Um, I want you to continue to pray for this family. And I know many of you uh, are yourselves being touched by similar difficult news, difficult circumstances, or those you love. And uh, our prayers are with you as well. If you have prayer requests to share with us, please, please do. And please continue to lift this family and uh, others that you know um, in prayer. And pray for healing. This morning, a uh, little devotional book that Jeannie and I enjoy, uh, Satisfied Heart by Ruth Myers, um, came across this. Psalm 45, 7. Our King is righteous through and through, and His love for us is altogether a righteous love. We need never suspect any ulterior motives in his dealings with us. He will never wrong us. He'll never lie to us. He'll never do anything we cannot admire. So we can give ourselves totally to loving him and depending upon him, trusting in him. With all the corruption in the world in high places and low, we, have, we find few people we can depend on unreservedly. But God is totally dependable. There will never be any corruption in his government. What a sense of peace this truth gives God is so perfectly the kind of ruler we need. Let's pray. Lord, with, uh, with that song, we, uh, we pray, keep our eyes on Jesus. You're our beautiful inheritance. May our hearts be hearts that can say unreservedly, we will trust the lines that you've drawn for me, for us. Say, my God, you will not abandon me. I will not be moved. Help us and 
Strengthen us to look to your godness, thus your trustworthiness, Lord. Teach us to pray. Help me in my unbelief. Enable us to be people of thanksgiving and praise. Uh, God, I pray just as a church, uh, we would be more and more known as a body of believers who believe. <laughs> and out of that trust, uh, there'd just be an outflow of life that uh, impacts those around us, that impacts our community, that impacts our world for your glory. Pray for Sarah and Sean. Indeed, we pray for all uh, in our midst who are struggling with uh, illness. God, we pray for healing. You are the God who heals, uh, and we trust you uh, in your work in each of these lives. And Lord, as we, uh, as we go out from this place today, would you just uh, capture our hearts with you, uh, that we would leave here the rest of this day, the week ahead, the months ahead, uh, desiring to be uh, women and men who, who trust you and who uh, exhibit that life of, of health and vibrancy and fruitfulness, even in the difficult seasons, because you are our trust. And we ask that because we can only achieve it through your grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks very much for your attention this morning. God bless you.